Welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. And today's guest is Christopher Carter, who wrote this incredible book, Permission to Glow, A Spiritual Guide to Epic Leadership. And this book is just so right up our alley. Um, Anybody who listens to this believes that there's a spiritual tie to their professional success. And that is exactly what Christopher drills into um, in Permission to Glow. We go through the four permissions that we can activate to transcend the crazy train of overwhelm and disruption by using everything life offers us as fuel to glow. Christopher, I'm so excited to have you on the show. You guys, we were just Gabin before we started recording and he is so our people and I feel like he's this wonderful masculine energy in this space of spirituality melding with professionalism so thank you so much for being on the show Christopher I'm really excited about our conversation It's my absolute pleasure Elizabeth and I'm so happy you found this work Yeah so why don't you talk through a little bit about I mean we want to get to Permission to Glow which is his incredible book that I highly recommend everybody check out but I want to talk a little bit about your path to getting to this point because I think it's great for listeners to have some context as to how you came to this point where you felt like you needed to somewhat you know out yourself out of the spiritual closet and bring it into mainstream corporate professional world. Uh, This is such a great time to get this question, Elizabeth, because literally last two weeks, I had this kind of full circle career healing. I went back into the company that launched me out of corporate to take the book back into a room of 120 leaders, former colleagues, peers, and give them access to all four permissions. And uh, so I had to reconcile all of these things, like how the hell did I end end up here? And would I have chose this? And how did it happen? And, you know, like the short version is, is that I started getting into meditation to compress like the emotional highs and lows of a sales job. I was a sales mm. director in a digital media company. It was a rapid growth company. I was the 40th employee. By the time we left, we had 900 people. So just that relentless growth, that marathon of sprints, it was just exhausting. So all the people were young, all the people were drinking way too much and um, you know, kind of dousing all of their stress with more booze. And it wasn't a judgment um, as much as it was like looking at myself, realizing like, oh, this is not sustainable for, for me. I come from a long line genetically of, of very accomplished alcoholics. <laughs> right. I, knew, I think most of us do, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew that I had to make a conscious choice to exit that crazy train. So I did that 10 years ago as I was starting to get more and more to meditation. I discovered uh, the book of my teacher, Paramahansa Yogananda, this book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, It's a spiritual classic written in 1946. It completely switched. Like people told me for about eight years I should read that book, and I finally surrendered and read it. And I couldn't, I haven't stopped reading it since. I I finished it during the birth of our third child. And um, I just started going more and more down that spiritual path. You know, like I was, I was really getting into that achiever 1980s, like Tony Robbins, (laughs) do more, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was cool. Like it definitely produced some good results in my professional life, but it was nothing compared to spiritual practice. Um, and I felt like where the spiritual path ended is where, or I'm sorry, where the professional development path ended is where the spiritual path began for me. And, uh, so yeah, just the meditation started out as just really comical, you know, laying on my ground, laying on the floor in the basement and falling asleep because thinking that Shavasana at the end of yoga was meditation. 
And yeah. I'm like, no, I think I'm just sleeping on the basement floor for <laughs> weeks on end. Which raises your vibe though. You know, it, it, I, I tell yeah. people that too. I'm like, listen, if you fall asleep, you fall asleep. But either way, you know, I, I use the metaphor of a cork, right? It's the cork is rising to the top of the water, which is our natural state, this nice high vibe state. And throughout yeah. the day, the cork is submerged by many different things. It could be anxiety. It could be a deadline. It could be your kid is sick. It could be, you know, getting five seconds of the news that permeates your brain, like all of that. So I don't know, man, I'm with you. I feel like if your body needs to sleep for five minutes and just shut off. Oh, totally. And that, I think that counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, this went on for years for me with, you know, experimenting with deeper levels of meditation, getting more consistent meditation. I started teaching meditation along the way at the company I was with. It kind of meditation started being this vine that kind of took over my life. Um, and for many years, it was about an hour every single morning was my consistent practice. And the more I did it, the more I needed it. And then it just started really paring down a lot of other stuff, like drama started falling out of my life. I started getting more clear on what was being asked of me um, on, in terms of like a spiritual mission, if you will. And of mm -hmm. course, I, you, you find when you start hearing that information, you find it troubling, you know, like, but I'm comfortable right. and I have three kids and, you know, we make a good living and why disrupt everything? And it came to a breaking point for me at the end of 2015, the company gave us a three-week sabbatical. And so I was on this like kind of deep meditation retreat in Encinitas, California, near you, northern San mm -hmm. Diego County. That's where Yogananda wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, which is why I take wow. my family out there. And um, I was leaving this uh, New Year's Eve meditation turning into 2016. And I was praying that whole time in this like four hour meditation for reconciliation on my career. I, I was saying, I can't keep doing this. I can't feel split anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm not fully deployed in any one area. And then this voice, I swear, just clear as a bell, it just said, prepare yourself, reconciliation's coming. And I thought, no. oh, you know, okay. and very, and sure enough, within two weeks, my position was eliminated. I had agreed to purchase a new home with a full remodel. So I had the perfect motivational high stakes to figure it out. And so super yeah. grateful for it. In retrospect, that year was not easy in any way, but right. um, it really forced me to get clear and start crafting the four permissions framework and to really start practicing what I, what I, what I had been teaching. Isn't it so great? The universe, you know, whenever we're like questioning, it'll just, it'll just push you right out. It'll just be like, you know what, this road is closed and it yeah. might feel like it's a hard stop to get there, but it is. I, it's always for our best interest. That's why clients come to me and they're like, I feel like I'm being pushed out. And I'm like, no, duh. Like, yeah, because we've you've known. outgrown it. You've outgrown it. Right. You've been you've saying outgrown for years it. that this isn't your place. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, and we need to prepare for you to get laid off because I can tell you that's what's going to happen if you don't leave first. Like it, yeah. it will. The universe wants you to survive. Sometimes I say, I feel like I'm in a video game and all my guides and ancestors and spiritual board of advisors are up there and I'm their player. And they're just trying yeah. and they're to counting get on me you. through. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're racking up points, right? And they have a vested interest in me winning this game, which is really mm -hmm. not against anybody else. It's just for me. And they will put up, you know, it'll be like a maze and they will throw up a road, so, road close sign and, and they just won't allow it to happen anymore. So I think that that's so beautiful and that mm. you didn't just get triggered and go back into that place of a scarcity mindset and oh, shit, I better get another job real quick because I've got three kids and a mortgage and a reno coming. Yeah. So I'll just do spirituality later. 
you know, all of my teachers at the time, uh, my, my dearly departed uh, teacher, Alice Bandy, who was there in Encinitas, uh, she, she told me she was very clairvoyant. She saw all this and she said, for you, getting a, a corporate paycheck was a spiritually lazy way to live. You needed to go out and generate and create. And so when I stepped back into this room of you know former colleagues a couple of weeks ago, which was amazing to see all them, I had so much joy and love seeing all my peeps and realizing that I could not have stayed and done what they're doing one minute longer and right. getting the acknowledgement back that I've gotten really good at my job because I don't have any other options. You know, like I... When you're paid to be yourself, you you better be good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean <laughs> you better be all in. You, and yeah, you better be authentic. Yeah. And, yeah. and bet on yourself and tr- trust, trust, trust. And you know, I think you said something so important that's worth underlining for your listeners. It's that you know, if I could coach any leader into just doing one thing, it's to just quiet themselves and to ask for support from their non-physical team, from their embodied teachers teachers that have passed on their lineage there you are surrounded by a benevolent army that wants to support you but it's Absolutely. us who are usually unwilling to ask we're too busy it's too woo woo i like I, I hate that word um yeah. anytime you know coaches come to me and say like how do you how are you able to be so woo woo in a corporate space i'm always like first rule one is you never uh, reinforce that there's a difference between being who you are outside of work and inside yeah. of work. Like I was always this right. person when I worked in a corporation. Now I'm just this person full time. <laughs> you know? Yes. Right. There aren't two different versions of you anymore. And you know, that yeah. word woo woo, it's so funny because it feels very polarizing. I feel like I'm just going to like take it and redefine it as yeah. like something actually really good, not something that's oh my decisive. Gosh of spirituality, yes. but like, you know what? I'm down with it, man. And I think everybody needs to embrace it. And if that's what you need to label it, to open your mind to it, then that's fine. Um, well, but and, I want to ask you- oh, Well, I was going to say, the um, woo is a strength and strengths finder. And I, I think of like, woo, like woo. Yeah. <laughs> like that, yes, vibe's woo, undeniable. Woo. that vibe's undeniable. And yeah, right. it's just- uh, what, what the challenge I have with, with it is when people use it as a limitation, like they won't accept me because I'm too tuned in to outside forces or whatever. It's like, no, they need that. Go be that. Right. You know? But it's be- they're uncomfortable because it feels threatening to the, on some level. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, that's your survival brain that's just trying to keep you safe. And somewhere along the line, it was, you know, the glitch got formed that that was somehow going to you know, you weren't going to like be taken as seriously at your job. You weren't going to make as much money. You weren't going to do this. Right. So they have to shut it down, you know? And I think that it's an opportunity to go back and really evaluate why there's a resistance to it. Why is there a negative connotation to being spiritual? You know, it's not everybody living in a van down by the river with dreads. Wow. And even if they were, I'm betting those people are fucking awesome. Happy. You know? Yeah, probably <laughs> like, really happy. And happy. Exactly. Yeah. But I want to make sure that we get to the four sure. permissions. So can you tell walk the, the listeners through what you mean by that? And then just kind of give us the bullet points of what each sure. are. Yeah, for sure. So the, the four permissions framework is is our company, Epic Leadership's central framework for conscious leadership. And uh, they've been discovered over just a lot of years of doing this work. Permission one is permission to chill, to pause and to be with what is, to be at peace with what the moment is asking of us. Um, It solves for this problematic character called Speedy Rabbit that just wants to move too fast and judge everyone for not keeping up. 
Uh, I can still be that person if I drink too much caffeine, but permission to chill is essential. Uh, so that's all about creating the meditation habit, the awareness. Uh, permission to. Is I want to say something too. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. For sure. Meditation. I have so many clients, and they're like, "It's not for me. It doesn't work." And I, I bang the drum of meditation as well. But that was the opening to my spiritual journey as well. Yeah. Mine wasn't as cool as reading some, you know, ancient book of like from a yogi master. <laughs> I wish. I wish I didn't have to do it. It was so hard. <laughs> Oh no! I took the I took the shortcut. I did Oprah and Deepak's twenty one day meditation oh, series. I love it. It was yes, amazing. And right. I did it in my basement on yep. the couch. And sometimes I fell asleep, and that was okay. But it got me in the routine. And now, you guys, meditation is like a life preserver when you're in the middle of a like wicked storm on the ocean. It just it it doesn't. It's not a cure all. It doesn't fix no. everything. But it does give your brain a beat to go back to that natural state, which is feeling good, you know? And and even if it's like the whole time your to-do list is going through your head, I, I'm a big believer in breath work and chanting. Chanting yeah. will just override that right away. Love chanting, but I yes. love that you call that out because it's like it's like the gateway drug, if you will, to spiritual awakening. Oh, it's 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 hugely essential and foundational, you know, and, and how how we summarize it is that your brain is naturally going to be like a shaken snow globe. That's life on earth in 2022. But if you're willing to settle that snow globe, you start to strengthen the discernment muscle. Like just the ability to ask, does this serve me or does this deplete me? When we're at the grocery store or when we're swiping Tinder or where we're looking for a job, does this serve me or does this deplete me? That discernment muscle is built through meditation, bringing the attention back to the breath thousands of times, thousands of hours, and and it's been transformative from every for everyone I've known. Yeah. So that's permission to chill represented by the, the pause button. Permission two is permission to feel all the feels. You'd probably love this one, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is to be at peace with what wells up in our hearts to guide us. And it solves for this critter called game face, when we would just want to slap a, a game face on a mask and say, yeah. how are you doing? I'm fine. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, and when we give ourselves permission to fully emote and to be authentic and real, it gives others the permission to be this, to do the same, and it gives us what we actually crave, but hold ourselves back from, which is connection. And um, so, can I ask you yeah. just this? Do you feel like this one really speaks to men on a deeper level too? Because I mean, we yeah. all know toxic mas- masculinity, right? Whatever you want right. to label it, but it does feel like there is an unfair or an you know, um, disproportionate expectation for men to not feel the feels. Sure. Well, I will say that all of my breakthroughs in my entire life with my coach and the work that I do is in permission to, permission to feel the feels. Anytime I'm willing to give myself that permission, magical things happen because, um, because I was raised as most men are to, you know, keep it together and to be strong and this and that. Right. And, um, you know, so so yes, I, I do say I do think culturally it is disproportionate, but also you have more men than ever that are committed to to expanding their emotional intelligence, which is really inspiring mm-hmm. to me. And they want to figure it out. They want to help everyone feel seen and heard. These these leaders that I work with, and certainly not all men, um, mm-hmm. but they want people to feel seen and heard, and that's that's really encouraging. And I think too, you know, I always try to. We're both parents, and I always try to preach to my little girls 
that feelings are not to be feared, you know, and I think sometimes I, I can see my husband who's incredible coming in. Sometimes if they're crying, he's like, really, we're crying about that. Stop crying. Yeah. And I'm like, no, like it literally triggers endorphins. So let's cry because the faster yeah. they cry, the faster they will get to the other side. And, but I, and I can see that even though he's super aware and conscious, it's, it's yeah. that reaction, right? It's just what's expected. And I know that he was told that at some point to just get moving, keep it pushing, and we don't need to stop and feel these feelings because they're invalid. Exactly. Or or at, at best, they're inconvenient. You know, like when we got to get the right. little kids in the car and people are crying and tantruming or whatever, of course, it's like, right. you know, let's get it together. Um, yeah. But you know, as a culture, we treat those feelings, our feelings are mental projections of root emotions. So those root emotions that are tied to trauma, to our experience, maybe to reincarnation, they've, they've been in that, those are, emotions are of the soul, feelings are of the mind, they're through the mental lens, they're, they're the interpretations of those emotions. And when we treat those as inconvenient, we resort to scrolling them away, drinking them away, yeah. suppressing them, telling people this is not a problem. And that then it becomes a problem. Um, yeah. But by le letting them flow, letting them giving them a voice, they're, they're there to inform us. And when we're able to seize that opportunity, that is our soul speaking to us through the emotions. That's being guided through the emotional body. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Okay. What's permission number three, Christopher? Permission to three is when it gets fun, Elizabeth. It's permission to glow in the dark. This is why most people hire a coach. This, this yeah. is how do I become fully self-actualized despite the ever-present fear? It's being mm. at peace with what the world is asking of us, which is terrifying in my experience. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, totally. I think, of, I think of the Olympic ski jumper like sailing off the giant ramp, leaning off the skis, and you know, midair, that would be me knowing, not knowing if I ever learned how to do that. But- on the other side of that fear, on the other side of that darkness is the divine light. It's the divine gift. It's the willingness to self-express despite all the resistance and fear. And th that's breathtaking. You know, that's that's what draws us into being a coach, right? Like having a front row yeah. seat for personal transformation when your client totally. does the thing they told you was impossible. You're yeah. just like, glow on, sister, yeah. glow on. Totally. So how would you, what's an example of a glowing in the dark in a professional capacity? I think it's saying the bold thing. You know, truthfully, it's about a, a series of tiny, bold moves. You know, it doesn't have to okay. be this big, audacious, like, I'm just going to rip off my shirt and, you know, do something ridiculous. It's yeah. the, the, the willingness to stay in it and do the tiny, bold moves leads to these breakthrough moments where people are claiming their power. And, and mm. they'll connect with the throat chakra and they'll say the brave thing. They'll give somebody a voice that was previously marginalized they'll yeah. do something that confounds everybody and do doesn't they don't make the convenient choice they make the choice that needs to be made and those are the right. tiny ways but you know i coach a lot of leaders on preparing high stakes talks and mm -hmm. when they step out on stage and without slides and the, like like the slides or the content yeah. or something and they they accept Scary. full responsibility for them them being the content that's absolutely a moment to glow in the dark 
Yeah. I think too, I think that everybody thinks everybody else in the room is smarter than them or better than them in some way too. And can I just tell you, I've been in the room with some billionaires. I've got clients who are C-suite, all that stuff. And the one thing we can all agree on is that they're not any smarter than you. (laughs) Like some of them, I feel like I, you know, I was trying to explain this to my husband. I said, you know, I think that they're just okay with taking risk. They just have guts. They just said the thing. They just said they were going to do the thing, then did it. I don't think it is. They're more charismatic. They're more intellectual. They have family money. I mean, some of that. But a lot of these people who made it big just bet on themselves. And I think taking these small risks, which they really are in your professional life, will help, to your point, build that muscle. And then at some point, you can take off. But you have to start by speaking up in that meeting. You have to interject with your idea that 10 seconds later, a man's going to say and get credit for. I'm sorry, but it happens, you know, or you have to take credit and say that was my idea. The willingness to fall flat on your face. I mean, I share a story in the book in that chapter about our daughter, Elliot, who's a professional singer. She had to sing for a thousand people at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and she had no voice. Like she was, she, she could barely croak out any words, but she got up there like a little badass and, and kind of like yelled her way through the set and brought so much energy that they still won the round and eventually won the competition. And that is just a powerful example of, of being willing to fail and willing to fight, you know, and yes. that willingness to fail, it has created, um, you know, it, it always creates just very powerful moments for people. And those yeah. are the moments where the coaches in the room are just like, hell yes. Thank you. for the inspiration. Yes. I love it. I love it. All right. What's permission number four? Permission number four. This was the hardest one to write in the, in the book. Um, so some powerful women around me said, well, what if it's not enough to stop at glowing in the dark? What does it mean to glow in the light? And I thought, whoa, can I even handle that? And right. in, in a lot of exploration around that, I thought about, well, what would, what would God want for us? What, whatever benevolent force you believe in the universe, goddess, yeah. whoever that may be for you, what would that entity want for us? It would want us to transcend competition for collaboration. It would want us to Mm -hmm. uplift everyone and create heaven on earth. It happens in pockets. It's not some utopian, stupid idea. It absolutely happens. The same way we have a propensity for creating hell on earth and all these formidable Mm -hmm. challenges, we can also unite and come together and get past our own petty bullshit and compete you know, finish the job and create something better. And so that's, that's permission four. it's the work of leaders who have done the earlier work of permissions one through three, and now surrender into the greater good. And surrender is such a big word. And I feel like, especially in like corporate context or whatever, or in business, um, it's used as, you know, the meaning has kind of morphed into something potentially negative or weak. You know, if you're surrender, never surrender, hustle, grind, but man, the beauty is in the surrender. And the thing is, is that I think, you know, your guides and your universe, you know, your universal board of advisors, all of them, they have way better shit dreamed up for you than you could ever imagine. So you grinding and hustling and never surrendering is actually limiting all of those things from being able to allow to flow to you. And I think that it's, you know, it's great to like, obviously you need to have goals, you need to be active, you need to be going. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that's how you glow in the light too, is just this full surrender that you are being divinely guided, that you've never been on this journey alone, that there is a bigger destiny for you, but you might have to change. You might have to give up the vision you had 
of exactly how that was going to look. Because I don't know about you, but I never envisioned this for myself. You probably didn't envision it for you either. Oh, oh it's so much better than anything I could have, you know, written a resume for or yeah. whatever pitched myself for. Um, but you, you said something super important, which is you, you basically pointed to the divine feminine of allowing versus the constant male striving, and and it is a, it, it is a balancing point that we have to get comfortable with. But I would take we could all learn a lot from. The, the the divine feminine in our, in our lives about allowing a thing or two because whenever I allow and stop striving and trying to prove myself things get way easier because we're receiving the divine plan except instead of trying to create it ourselves you know yes and um and it and it is tricky you know but I I do think that there's a lot to that that the leaders I work with that are willing to you know always be pushing for the goal. That's a given. That gets us out of bed in the morning, but also right. to allow the receiving, to allow the journey to be joyous and expansive and benefit everyone. Those are the ones who who not only tap a vein, but hit an artery. And then when the, right. the massive abundance starts flowing, that's what they've been doing. They've been allowing at the same time, if not to right. a greater But there extent. is a bit of a calm before the storm. And before we started recording, we were talking about that with you, right? In the book and things like that. I think that Sometimes people can get really uh, restless in that calm, right? In that yes. beginning phase of waiting, being in the initial phases of surrender and waiting for the stuff. Like, where's know, my stuff? Yeah. Where's yeah. the stuff? Where's the money? You said if I surrendered and allowed, it would come. But I think that it's like a little carrot. The universe is going to like hold it out there. It's going to see like how long are you really going to surrender? Because your surrender might not be the same surrender that the universe is looking for, that God is looking for, you know, mm -hmm. it might really want you to just let go of all expectations. And that, that can be in your job, that can be in your relationships, that can be in your parenting journey, that can be, you know, in so many different facets of your life. So it isn't just, you know, what we're not, we're, what we're not saying is don't be active in creating your career path. We're not saying like, you know, just let let it be what it is, you know, and take what you get. It's it's not really about that, but it's really being open to receiving these messages, these breadcrumbs, if you will, and following those to what is probably going to be how you serve um, for the higher consciousness, for the greater good. Hmm. Absolutely. You know, if you picture your career as swinging from vine to vine in the jungle, what our parents and school mostly taught us was that you better have your hand on the next vine before you let go of the other one. Yeah. You know, that, that's what was right. preached in my house, you know. Oh, me too. And the people that achieve the extraordinary stuff, they are willing to release a vine, hang in the liminal space, and on sheer faith and vision and will, a bigger vine keeps coming. Yeah. Willing to fall oh, to the forest God. floor willing to hit every branch on the way down. And I know like I know that that's there yeah. and I'm going to grab it and they grab it. And yeah. um, it takes faith and it takes belief in yourself. And um, you know, just, just knowing that every vine up to this point has prepared you beautifully, you know, like you, yeah. if anybody can do this, you're going to do it. So what is the biggest excuse that you've heard not to um, really kind of validate or adopt the four permissions? You know, I mean, typically the the two biggest um, scarcity constructs in human experience that we we created both of them time and money. You know, um, right. never enough time, never enough money, resources. It's it's the reason why people won't say yes to themselves to to hire a coach or to invest in themselves. Yeah. But when they're when they're willing to 
invest in themselves, a lot more doors open. And I see it, I mean, I'm sure you do too in, in our small business all the time when I'm willing to invest in PR and the time to create a book and the time to develop yeah. a, an expansive website, whatever, it comes back to you 20, 40 fold. You can't even quantify it. You know what I mean? Right. So that willingness to invest in ourselves is probably at the uh, core of it. And it, and it comes down yeah. to time and money. Am I worth it? Do I deserve to, to put this time into myself? Do I deserve yeah. to invest this money into myself when I should be using it to pay for Netflix or whatever? And right. the people that say yes to that create the create the stuff. But you know what's so interesting is, you know, I'm an, what they call an elder millennial. So I was born in 81. I'm 41 years old. It's a great year. And I feel like, <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like Gen Z is more willing, they are getting paid the least, and they are the most willing to spend money on themselves, which is like incredible. I feel like generationally, it's getting easier because there was this, you know, when I was growing up too, there was a scarcity mindset. We didn't have a ton of money raised by a single mom. Mm -hmm. I remember one day she came home and she got in a little fender bender and like the bumper of the car came off and she was sitting at the, you know, dinner table crying, writing a check because she didn't have money to pay to fix the car. Mm -hmm. And it was like um, a snapshot of that moment of, well, that's never going to fucking be me. You know what I mean? So I am yep. going to make money and hustle. And to your point, had a whole vision of climbing the ladder, being you know the head person in charge, jet setting, all of that. And then when I got so close to that, it was just so unfulfilling. It was just like, yeah. oh, wait, that moment that I you know took that Polaroid in my brain of don't be this really was from an altered lens. And actually, you know, it could be money could flow to you in a different way. And you didn't really have to sacrifice your authenticity or yourself in order to manifest abundance. Yeah. I, I think that that central context that we have of like either or, like I could either have meaning in my work or I could have a lot of money and co all the money's in the big corporate job that's soul sucking and stressful. By the way, not all yeah. corporate jobs are soul sucking or stressful. A lot totally. of people are very, very happy there. But God, God right. I loved my company. Yeah. I, I totally, totally agree. But, but when they're, when they can look at the both and they can, you know, have it, have it all. I think having it all is evolving. And it's great to have shared space with you today to discuss that. I love the work that you're doing. We were joking. Oh, we're like you. so mission aligned. Uh, this is like the perfect match. So everybody, please check out Permission to Glow. There's going to be links at the bottom of this episode to check it out. But also just check out you know, Christopher Carter's content. You've got a lot of really great free content too. And oh. I think for people when it's hard to invest in something like coaching, mm -hmm. free content on YouTube, stuff like that is great. And the book. You know, that is such a minimal investment, yeah. but it's great to just see how you feel when you're reading it. And if you're aligned, then you look into coaching, you know, things like that. But I think that it's time to kind of bring this army of people who are trying to meld spirituality and your job and your career together to really continue to push forward and do the work. So maybe that's how you glow in the dark or how you glow in the light is by talking about stuff like this. Talk about books that you're reading that are like this. Talk about content like this at work and see the response you get. I bet you would be surprised at how many other people are into it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been a pleasure, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, the book is designed to be a great entry point, is to be your coach in the absence of working with me directly. And uh, it's a much smaller investment, fortunately. So hopefully it's uh, easy yes. and accessible. Yeah.
All right, they'll check it out. <laughs>